0: Welcome to this special edition of the Livingstones podcast at Red Mountain Community Church. My name is Kyle Fox, and we have a unique opportunity to sit down and chat with Bob Fox. Coincidentally, he shares the same last name as me, no relation. <laughs> uh, no, he's my dad. And founding pastor, lead pastor of Red Mountain Community Church, and we're also with Dave Lindstrom, Dr. Dave Lindstrom, Uh, who is one of the founding elders of Red Mountain Community Church. And what we wanted to do was sit down um, with these two guys and ask them uh, about some stories about how Red Mountain came to be and its initial phases, and then uh, share a little bit of the story of how we even got this current property we're on as a way of just being grateful for what God has done in our past and to remember... God's faithfulness uh, uh, in specific ways to us as a group of people at Red Mountain Community Church, and have that spur our trust in Him for what lies ahead in the future, for the next thirty years, for the next forty years, for the next you know millennium, however long we're here. Well, not you and I, but yeah, I won't. However, be long, here the, a millennium. <laughs> however long the church nice. uh, is here, uh, so let's uh, let's get started. Um, I've uh, grown up at Red Mountain. I was here, but I was only three and a half, so I don't know a lot of the ins and outs of how uh, this story works of you two especially meeting each other and um, uh, how the Lord kind of brought Red Mountain into uh, into existence through the vision he would given you guys separately and then also together. So can we just maybe... Start in like nineteen eighty eight or eighty nine somewhere in there with each of you guys and then we'll get into just how you guys came together and met. So, um maybe Dave we'll start with you. How how did the Lord kind of begin to put Red Mountain Community Church on your heart and what did that process
1: look like? Well, I don't know how to start with nineteen eighty eight exactly. <laughs> but um the Lord uh Did bring me, bring my wife and I back to Mesa after we were in dental school. And uh, so uh, it's hard to kind of uh, go to 88 without going a little bit before 88. So if I might. You may. Okay, thank you. (laughs) So uh, Lynn and I actually moved to this area just about probably less than. a mile from here, down on uh, Wrecker, and in between McDowell and McKellops, we uh, bought our first home there, probably in 1980. And uh, we decided to live there because Linda's dad was a contractor, and uh, that's where he was building houses around what used to be Camelot Golf Club and is now Painted Mountain. So uh, when we were newly married, we uh, didn't have much money, and uh, he could give us a pretty good deal, so we went into one of the houses there. And uh, from there, we then helped out at my dad's church, which was in South Phoenix, so we drove back and forth several times a week there. And uh, then the Lord uh, had put on our hearts to go to dental school. And uh, from... uh, Basically, uh, the process of the dental school ended up taking us to California. And so we moved to California, did a dental school for four years. And while we were there, we were praying about what the Lord wanted us to do. And the Lord uh, had put on our hearts that we are going to be staying in the United States. We were thinking at that time we might go out of the United States as a missionary. But we were going to stay in the United States, and we were called into church planting. So our desire from uh, that time on was to come back to our area here in East Mesa and uh, plant a church. And so when we came back in 87, we were looking for what it was that the Lord wanted us to do as far as getting a church. And uh, we were attending a General Baptist church in California, which is a sister church church to the Evangelical Free Church. So we were looking first at a, at a general Baptist church, then we f- we uh, found that there was an Evangelical Free Church close by, and we started attending that. And uh, But the whole purpose was to come back, be a dentist here, and uh, to church plant. And so from uh, 87, 88, we started going to uh, Grace Evangelical Free in Mesa. I had talked to Paul Forsythe the pastor there ahead of time and told him that uh, the Lord had put this on our hearts and uh, he said great he said come join us and um, from there then I I started working out working in their church and uh, and that grew to about the maximum capacity for their one acre piece of land with the thought that uh, that a church was going to uh, be planted so From uh, 88 on, I was teaching a Bible study and uh, was on the elder board over there. And the Lord then uh, started through the Bible study that I was teaching. uh, I got to know some of the people that I was teaching. And uh, that became part of the little small group of people that were thinking about planting a church. And that would bring us uh, somewhere close to where uh, your mom and dad... Came into town, and uh, I think that was uh, eighty nine. That 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 uh, they came into town, and so uh, we were just there doing our church work, talking to people. I was playing um, tennis with these guys, Rex Griswold, Bud Devries, and Paul Bonar, and talking about a church and plant and possibly about planting a church. And then I believe Bob came to a service. That was a Thanksgiving Eve service that we had in 89. I'm not 89. Yeah. yeah 89. 89. And, uh, and Paul Forsyth first talked to him and Bob said that, uh, he was coming here to go to seminary and to possibly plant a church. And the Lord had put that on his heart. And so then Paul Forsyth said, well, you should meet Dave. And so then we started talking and then, uh, seeing what the Lord wanted to do with that. But the whole thing was orchestrated by the Lord in uh, every aspect. And that's what we've seen all the way through, even for these last 30 years. Mm.
0: And what uh, how, what was the motivations behind that little small group? Like, why would you form a group like that? And what was important to you guys, even in those days? Was it just you shared an interest of church planting, or or was it just pursuing friendship with each other? How did that group, that initial group, really start to really get some momentum and, and uh, I guess, true relationship there?
1: Well, it started out uh, as, as just a friendship inside the classroom. And also, uh, I was looking for maybe some people that uh, I could do some sports with. And so it turned out where each of those guys, at least, and uh, we also did stuff with their, their wives also, um, but each of those guys liked basketball and they liked tennis. And so we would get together and play tennis on a regular basis and uh, basketball every once in a while. We started playing more basketball once your dad came on the scene, <laughs> because he was an animal <clears throat> on the court. <laughs> he, he had his Such own. Uh, guy. <laughs> he had his own Amargosa, Nevada rules on basketball <laughs> when we first. I don't know, what kind of basketball is this? Uh, but uh, but th- that's how it started with these uh, these guys and and I basically got together and played sports and and when after we or during our breaks. Uh, we would talk about what the Lord was doing and, uh, what our desires were. And it also turned out where each of them lived closer out into this East Mesa area where Lynn and I also lived because we had, we had moved back and, and moved to this area. Mm -hmm. And, uh, except for, uh, Bud and Ruth DeVries, they lived a little further into town, but they decided to still make the effort. And, uh, so as we talked about it, we decided the Lord wanted us to plant a church out here. And so it was a combination of sports and fellowship as well as just uh, talking about the Word of God as well as thinking about the future of what the Lord might want to do.
0: Yeah, I love that aspect because it shows, you know, we, we can look for friends just to have friends, but it really is amazing that if there's a group of people that pursue friendship but also pursue how can we together impact God's kingdom, it really, once a small group of people really start thinking that way, it is amazing if you fast forward those types of commitments a number of years, how the Lord will nurture and use that simple bond of friendship, but also commitment to impact something together. I think that's, that's a good piece of the story to remember for, for people, is to see that, that point. It's huge. So, Dad, you didn't live here in Arizona. <laughs> we lived in a different place. How how did God kind of stir your heart to plant a church here in East Mesa, and how did, how did that all happen?
2: Yeah, I'll give you a real shortened version because there are so many details, but uh, the Lord obviously did it. And, you know, when you look at Red Mountain today, um, it isn't here because we had some super sharp scheme and or we had any uh, brilliance or anything, It it's really a miracle that's it's here. When you start a business, it's a miracle it survives. You know, most don't. And when you start a church, it's the same thing. It's just uh, remarkable. I remember sitting in Amargosa and thinking about what I'd do with the rest of my life when I got big. And uh, I, I was at a crossroads in life. You know, I hit 40 years old, and you're really at a point where, what am I going to do with the rest of my years? And... Um, I remember thinking that through very carefully and praying, and the Lord Lord really made me struggle with that. There weren't any big visions or neat uh, moments where He just made it plain. It was just a a struggle. And when I thought of going somewhere and planting a church, uh, the big thing to me was, how do you start something like that? I mean, do you, you start knocking on doors and inviting anybody or you know, how do you get, how do you get that first little germ thing together? That was a big unknown to me. And, um, that, uh, that was the biggest thing I thought about was, Lord, I'm going to go to Mesa. By then we'd kind of made that determination. What's going to happen when I go to Mesa? And how in the world am I going to get anything like this off the ground? And, um, so we all loaded up, came with our rider truck and, Dumped ourselves in Mesa Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, it was actually on Sunday night that weekend. We'd been unloading the truck and doing all this stuff, uh, moving boxes, and I just started feeling the afternoon that I ought to go visit this little church I knew about. How'd you know about it? Uh, I don't even remember. I think I think I had had affiliation with the free church in the past. I think I looked in the phone book. Remember those? <laughs> yeah. And Yeah. And I looked for evangelical free churches and there was one. And it wasn't that far away. And I don't even know how I knew where it was, because you didn't have a Google. I don't know how I did that, but I figured out where it was. And uh, it was just on my heart. You gotta go there. And by then I'd lived long enough to know when those ideas persist, you just do it. So I went there that night alone. You guys all stayed home because you had, mom was starting everybody in school the next day. So she stayed home with you and I went to the church and and that's where I had the conversation with the pastor, and he asked me, well, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) You know, that's what I'm trying to figure out. And I talked about planning a church or this thing. He says, well, there's somebody you have to meet. So he took me over and introduced Dave. And if I remember, you'd been sick that week, and you weren't feeling great. But anyway, we talked, and Dave said to me, why don't we meet Thursday for lunch? And you write on a paper your vision for this church, and I have mine written down, unless. We'll trade papers and see where we stand, and so we did that, and that was our first meeting to talk about the church, and uh, our visions were remarkably the same. The difference was he had the name figured out, Red Mountain Community Church, and uh, so we decided, what a coincidence <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, you know, guys would have these thoughts and, and put down their heart on and, and what the Lord had led them to, and and without ever meeting they had a lot of the same stuff on the page i mean it was strikingly similar
0: dave did you feel that way too you were amazed at the similarity
1: yes definitely i i can't even remember exactly all the things we put down but uh, i think from a just uh what we were thinking about as far as the word of god as far as making sure that the holy spirit was uh prominent in our th- in our thinking and our teaching uh ex- expository preaching and teaching, I think, was on there. And then uh, just that it was going to be a probably a, a larger church. It wasn't going to be a smaller church. We thought that the Lord wanted us to do something that was going to be more like a mother church, where it was going to be able to send and reach uh, a larger area, including different parts of the world. And uh, so those were kind of some of the basics of it. Uh, we probably had a few other things also, but
2: I remember the thing that impressed me in my conversations with Dave early on was that uh, I think both of us had settled in that we weren't content with uh, just an organization or even, you know, a lot of bells and whistles. We wanted the the New Testament miracle, and we wanted to. We'd watched enough of the charismatic movement and so on. We we felt like the classic evangelical mainstream had missed something uh, in the work of the Holy Spirit, that we had gotten so scared of some of that that we'd withdrawn. So we both had that very much on our hearts. Uh, And it was probably a bit of a point of tension for both of us because it was important, but we were pretty much on the same page when it came to saying, we don't believe we're supposed to be afraid of that. Mm. We're We're supposed to foster it and not close the door to him. So that was
0: important so you guys have that initial meeting you realize man our visions line up uh and that's in november end of november beginning of december somewhere in there and by easter the next year red mountain is going uh what were what were those that period of time between november and easter what what was that like for you guys and and what, what did you, see, from what you can remember, what was the Lord orchestrating in, in that group? And, and how are you sensing his direction there? Well, we
2: took time to pray for the month of December. We said, okay, we'll continue to meet. And we did. And we'll just pray and see what, what kind of gels here. Dave invited me to this group of guys that played tennis. I went and we talked. and So there, December was a lot about that. And by January, for somewhere right in there, Dave and I were pretty convinced both that, that the Lord was doing this here. And so we, uh, we made a decision to, to uh, pursue next steps. So, so from there on, there was a lot of just figuring out where do we meet, what do we do, what, you know, there's all sorts of things you have to organize and get ready for that launch. And so that's what we started on, that mm. list of things.
1: Yeah, Bob and I were meeting pretty regularly during that time. Once we got to know each other, we probably were meeting probably two to three times a week. And it would always involve a pretty good amount of prayer together. And we'd go to the river quite a bit uh, down at the salt. And we found a couple different places there. One place kind of became our prayer spot, and then we ended up taking the rest of the, the guys over there, and that became the the core group. And uh, at that time, they were talk The guys were talking to uh, their wives and saying, "Well, you know, this is what's happening. We got this guy from Amargosa, Nevada, and he's kind of praying through um, what the Lord's doing and whether he's possibly interested in becoming the the senior pastor of this." and uh then we continued playing racquetball and and tennis and uh bob was still deciding exactly what the lord was doing he was getting ready i don't know if he had started seminary yet at that point but it was getting pretty close that he's getting ready to take his first seminary classes uh, since they moved since you guys moved here and and he had right at the beginning he wasn't totally convinced that this was going to be what the Lord did. But after a few weeks, uh, he kind of gave me the thumbs up and said, yeah, I believe the Lord's called us to this. I think that the Lord has had this all fit together. And so from then on, I think that was probably around mid-December that uh, that happened or somewhere a little before that. Pretty, pretty fast. Yeah, it's pretty fast. It, <laughs> it wasn't a long decision because we just saw how the Lord was orchestrating everything. And so then we started looking for. Was it, was that exciting at that point, or was it
0: was it nerve wracking? Where where were you at, Dave? Just emotionally in that time, you were like, "Yeah, this is sweet. This is what it is." Or just kind of, "Okay, here we go."
1: I was excited. You know, I to me. This has been uh, something that. I'd been praying for for years and to just see how the Lord was starting to bring it all together and, uh, you know, not knowing exactly how this was even going to work to start with and, uh, and who was going to be the pastor of it. Mm. You know, I got to the point where I got, I don't know who's going to be the pastor of this thing. I just know that I'm just supposed to do this, you know, and, uh, and, and the rest of the guys were kind of feeling the same way. And, and, uh, so, It was just interesting to see what the Lord was doing, and then and how He was doing it so quickly. Mm. You know, to have Bob just come here, show up at church, and then for us to start meeting, and uh, and to see how He just kind of orchestrated everything—it was just exciting.
2: And for me, it was the biggest thing I was worried about in Nevada was where do you start, and the Lord answered that question within forty-eight hours after we. Right. A little more than that, but really quick. You know, that that to me was the biggest hurdle, and uh, that was provided for so miraculously and so quickly. I just couldn't believe it. And then to find out, I, I found out in that first conversation how long they'd been praying about this and thinking about it, and you go, we're on holy ground here. <laughs> mm. I better loosen my sandals, you know, because uh, it was obvious the Lord had been stomping around in this one a lot longer than we had, so...
1: It was also interesting to see how quickly, you know, um, Bud and Ruth and their family, you know, uh, everybody was praying about it, and Bud and Ruth and their family, Rex and Mary Ellen Griswold, Bud and Ruth DeVries, Rex and Mary Ellen Griswold, and their family, and then Paul and Jenny Bonar. And uh, to see how quickly they kind of said, yeah, I believe this is what the Lord wants to do. Uh, Because everybody had to kind of merge with this, and again, I think they—they they, uh, were everything happened within like two weeks. It was amazing, mm. and from that time on, now we're just trying to figure out kind of well, what's the next steps now, and so we knew there had to be some kind of blending our thoughts together, prayer, and uh, so then we started thinking, okay, where, what are we going to do next as far as meeting as a a core group, and then Bob and Debbie basically volunteered their house to meet as a core group on Sundays. And then uh, other times we had our our place and our basement for uh, different meetings. And so that's how that happened all the way from about mid-December, early January on until we started on the Easter Sunday of 1990.
0: Yeah, my memories there are are, uh, going to Grace— Sunday morning service, and then being in the back of your station wagon, Dave, <laughs> uh, because you had a bunch of books back there that we could look at, and then being driven either to your house or back to our house, and that's where the group would gather sometimes on Sunday, even after, after church on Sunday. We'd all eat right. together, or we'd do something, I don't know.
1: Yeah, all the way through until, uh, I think we started meeting just as our core group somewhere in January. Before that, though, we'd go to Grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd continue there, and then then we'd go and and we'd have our meeting. I think later on that afternoon or in the evening or something like that. Yeah. And then somewhere about maybe mid January is when we just started meeting on our own. Sunday mornings, yeah. On Sunday on Sunday yeah. mornings, we didn't we didn't go to Grace anymore. We just met on our own.
0: So so we. So we end up starting Easter Sunday of 1990, and it's in Anzio Landing Italian Restaurant, which was owned by Rex Griswold, one of the founder elders. Oh. How did that process come about of that space being
1: available and open? Uh, I think we asked Rex and Marielle, and, I said, and we said, because they had they had chosen to close on Sundays, which is pretty unusual for a restaurant. They were the original Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yes, yeah, we, that's what we could say. Rex and Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen the original Chick-fil-A. Of East of Mesa. Mesa. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the Lord had put that on their heart before they moved here, that they were to be closed on Sunday. So they had originally started their business that way and, and continued it on. So uh, we had tried a few other places. Uh, we went around, we, we tried to think, well, can we rent a hangar? an airplane hangar. We thought, can we, uh, there was a couple other kind of vacant buildings and we tried to do that. And each of those places were really expensive and we didn't have that much money. And so we finally, I, I think we went to Rex and said, Rex, would you be open to, uh, having us meet here at the, at the restaurant on Sundays? And I think he just said, yeah, yeah, he's- I, said, absolutely.
2: I <laughs> that must be why the Lord won't let me be open. Yeah. so
1: I don't even know if he ever asked Mary Ellen about it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to find that out. (laughs) I'm sure we'll hear it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so 1990, the church starts. you got five families. Open the doors.
1: My my, uh, father and mother-in-law were right with us the whole time. They didn't meet in our core group, but they were right with us. And so uh, they were—they were right from the beginning, also. And uh, we're going to find out they—they're pretty significant as time goes on in this story too. Mm. He also, my father-in-law, also was the one who knew Paul Forsyth uh, because he sold him a lot uh, in one of his um, developments. Mm. And he actually was the one who said, "You know, you should probably go try to try his church out." Oh wow! Okay. So he was kind of significant all the way through on this, so I want to make sure that they're mentioned in this. My mother in law is now with the Lord, but he's still with us. Rick uh, and Vicky Riggs came right away, didn't they? Yes, Rick and Vicky Riggs. They they stayed with Paul Forsyth back at Grace, I think for a year. Did they? Okay. And then they came when Paul Forsyth came as one of our associate pastors. Okay. But that's my brother in law and sister in law on Linda's side. And they became significant as far as uh, as the construction work. So, but they came probably about a year later.
0: Yeah. So, so, uh, we, we have this church started in this restaurant. Uh, what, and we were in that restaurant until 1995 ish. Yeah. What do you guys remember the most about those restaurant days? What was probably the biggest challenge you remember from those days? Yeah, what
2: do you remember? Yeah. I remember box.
0: picking gum <laughs> <laughs> from underneath the tables while the worship
2: team was practicing before church. <laughs> yeah, the, big, the biggest challenge, I think, was that— uh, I don't know if it was the biggest, but an important challenge was just uh, the, the grind of setting up every week. Uh, it was a grind. You had to be there— certain amount of time ahead of time to get everything set up you didn't know if anybody was coming at first and then you had to just hang around afterwards and put everything away now as we grew other people helped us but it was a grind it was a long grind where dave and linda would put out the signs every sunday morning at different places and everybody had their job and you carried the food box out <laughs> Uh, everybody had a job, even even little kids. And so that was fun, It, but it was a grind to be in the temporary place. And then it got to be a little harder too because fitting kids in Sunday school space, but the beauty of that was Rex decided to expand. Every time we filled a room, he'd build another one. and It was it, almost like
1: the Lord was doing that. He was blessing his <laughs> business right at the same time as the church yeah. was expanding.
2: <laughs> it was remarkable. And uh, so the challenge of the space and you know people perceive you as temporary when you're in a temporary place and so it was hard to uh imagine people wanting to come but they did They, they did and it was just hard to f- you couldn't have midweek programs for kids you couldn't do much of anything that's what I remember about it there was so much that we couldn't do because uh as great as the thing was and as generous as it was to have it it we didn't have it during the week so that made it
1: Yeah, the smell of uh, Parmesan cheese <laughs> was uh, was uh, very aromatic uh, all the way through. And we had it on our hands, and we had it uh, everywhere, because we were the ones that also filled up the Parmesan cheese containers afterwards. <laughs> and uh, then where, where did we put Bob as far as to do his, his sermon? And where did we put the music uh, group, our little music group that we had? uh he had a he had the windows that that faced out onto uh the runway and so it it was a nice view because we put Bob right there where you could look out on the runway at the same time as he was preaching. But what happened is every time a plane took off, you could see everybody's head turned and, and the follow, the, like this. follow the <laughs> plane all the way through and so I'm sure Bob felt like everybody was listening uh, very well to the sermon. And uh, then the little music group uh, we had just a little small area that we kind of just all figured out where to where to play from. It, it shouldn't have worked. From.
2: <laughs> that's that's another thing. It shouldn't have worked by all laws of normal church planning thought. It shouldn't have worked. But here we are.
1: We had transparencies in those days that we put the words overhead on overhead transparencies. Overhead transparencies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so we didn't have one of you know we didn't have uh, an overhead. Projector, and Bob and I went down. Uh, we found out there was one that was a used one that was being sold in uh, Sun City in Phoenix.
2: Well, Sun City, Sun City West. West
1: in Phoenix, and so in we LA. went down there and, and <laughs> got it. it. Didn't work at all, but Bob fixed it. For those of you who don't know, Bob is very handy, <laughs> and he can fix uh, almost anything. But he fixed it, and then that's what we used as our transparencies for for the words to the music. for yeah. Probably the full five years. I don't oh, know yeah. if we ever switched until we got here in our first building here. So,
0: Dad, do you remember the first sermon you preached?
1: Yeah, it was a sermon
2: on the on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, and I took out a pair of uh, Converse tennis shoes uh, that Dave had, and I used those for an opening illustration. The idea being that uh, there. Those were kind of a monumental thing that hit the market and and it, it was special. They were authentic and this was the deal. And so that was the opening illustration. Just what is authentic Christianity? What does it really look like? And then did the Sermon on the Mount mm. uh, for a series of weeks.
0: Oh, okay. And why the Sermon on the Mount? Just because of that
2: you I, wanted to capture it. Just because the... of that. Just because of that. And for me and for us it was important, probably because just both of our theological background was that you didn't do that. You didn't preach on the Sermon of the Mount because it was dispensational and that wasn't for the church that was Israel. So it was a way of us establishing from the opening bell that that our theology was going to be broader than mm. than kind of what we were raised in. And so it was. I think that was probably its greatest significance. Not so much what it did for the people listening, but uh, you know there are things you do that are are important between you and God and transactions like that and things you do. And so we did a lot of those. We did, we we're we the same about talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, even though it could have torn the church apart. We talked about it very openly, and people came, and we navigated those waters. There were people that said, no, we don't want any of that in this church, and, and we just had to say, well, we do. <laughs> That's what we want. And we had to navigate a lot of funny theology in those early days that would drift through. So I remember that.
1: Yes, and uh, we we were pretty optimistic, and we, we would pray boldly, and we'd pray for the Lord to send us uh, just the people with the biggest problems and the biggest needs, and uh, people that were... Addicted to different things and uh, different problems, and the Lord was very faithful to send us those people. And then we realized we're going to also have to pray for people to come that actually are stable and and that know the Word of God and that uh, want to serve the serve the Word of God and uh, know the Holy Spirit. And so then we had to start saying, "Well, Lord, thank you for sending us all these people that that need you." Uh, but we also need help, and so it's interesting as a church gets started that uh, that you go through these different phases like that. But that all happened fairly quickly.
0: <laughs> so the church uh, grows numerically over the next couple of years. You start to kind of feel the limitations of the restaurant and of the space, uh, particular, but also just the functionality of needing midweek things and and various other office space and and all the things that that uh, would accompany having their own building. So let's go to land acquisition. How do we get this particular piece of land? How did God bring this
2: about? Well, we've got to both chime in there. I'll tell you how I heard about it. Dave phoned me one day. Well, we, we went and looked at another piece, and uh, it was, it was the land we had to have. And Dave brought his oil thing out. We called all the other elders. We anointed the property with oil. and
1: The cactus.
2: Yeah. It, it was going to be it, you know. And I think a week later, another church bought it.
1: <laughs> that, so, other, that other church hasn't done much with it either yet. But uh, it, but they bought we it. We hope they continue to do better. So
2: another morning, Dave phoned me, and he can give you a background on how he knew about it. He phoned me about another piece of property. And and we went and looked at it, and boy, was it ugly! It had a monster dirt pile on it, and everything. And so we again prayed over. It. We didn't. I don't think we anointed it with oil, but we were a little more cautious. <laughs> <laughs> but we prayed, and would this be the the piece of ground? And uh, there were. It was ugly, but there were a lot of things about it that were really good. Like it, the freeway was going to go by there, and it was pretty crude. and... There weren't too many houses around on on this land when we came and looked at it. So maybe you can tell a little bit more, Dave, from your perspective.
1: Yeah, my father in law, Paul, is a. Uh, he had his real estate license, and so uh, when we were looking for land, one of the first things I did was ask him. said, so "Could you look around and see if there's something out here that that uh, would be good for for our church?" And I said, you know, think in terms of like, uh, above 10 acres and, uh, because we're, we're thinking about it's going to, we're going to need a big piece of land. So he looked all around and, uh, went to a few different places. And finally, uh, the Lord just kind of, I think just brought him to, uh, knowing that this land was up for sale. It was up for sale by the city of Mesa and, uh, Back in 19, about 92, maybe it was, that we were looking, maybe 92 or 93, I don't know, somewhere in there, uh, this area was going through a recession, a pretty big recession. And up until then, each acre around here was going for $75,000. And because of the recession, uh City of Mesa was kind of having to take over a lot of other people's property because they weren't able to pay for them, and so they they had this accumulation of property, and so right at this point they were decided to to get rid of some of their inventory, and so this thirteen acre piece of land that Red Mountain Community Church is on is one of those pieces of inventory that they wanted to get rid of. Mm. And it just so happened, and there's a lot of different things that my father-in-law can tell you about it. But he was just there at just the right, just at the right time, uh, at the city of Mesa, just at the right office to uh, basically negotiate this uh, contract and to possibly get this. Another uh, couple of people were bidding on it at the same time, and the Lord ended up opening the doors for um, the church to possibly have it because we bid on the whole thing. Everybody else was bidding on cut cut out pieces, uh, not including the big dirt pile and not including the retention basin. And so they were just trying to cut out five, five acres here and there, but we, we bid on the whole thing. And that's one of the reasons why the, why we ended up getting the contract, Mm. which was pretty amazing when I think the whole thing was $113,000, uh, for all 13 acres. Might've been just a little above that. No, I think it was under, I think it was a 108 or somewhere in there.
2: It wasn't much. Yeah. For thirteen acres.
1: Yeah, uh, compared to what each acre was seventy five thousand, just uh, a few months earlier.
2: But here's the thing: we had to. That that went fast. Like he phoned me in the morning. We went and looked at it. A couple days went by, and then Paul phoned him, said, "Hey, if you guys want that property, you have to bid on it today." And. uh, So, you know, we don't have time for a congregational meeting or anything. So we we got together and figured out, well, what would we be willing to pay for it? And Paul advised us, and what are we going to do if we win it and the church doesn't want it? You know, you go through all that stuff. And so we put in a bid, and Paul put it in and fought it through, and by the end of the day, we we had it.
1: Yeah, I think you might be right at $108,000.
2: Yeah, and so so Dave and I then had to figure out, okay, how are we going to, pay for this little binge. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, the Lord worked that out. We called the people out here, we had a congregation meeting on it, and some of them, a couple of them called us names and said we were on an ego trip, and there'd never been any houses around here, there was no development gonna happen. But most of the people were excited. Uh, they just sensed it was the right thing, and so we, we told them to fill out a pledge card and we said, put your name and your number, because this isn't no thing. We we have to contact you because we have to have the, the money by this date for a down payment. We need $33, thirty three thousand dollars, something the, like that. Yeah, right Maybe in there. And uh, so in two weeks, we met and clicked those cards, and we had one thousand extra dollars. If it was thirty three, we got thirty four. But then one of the men that pledged two thousand dollars for me the next day said, I can only pledge a thousand. I said, "Don't worry, we got it." That was Bill Franklin. <laughs> Remember that, and uh, so we had just what we needed, and then Christian investors uh, paid paid the balance, and we got the land. And then Paul began his magic. Uh, yeah. So, so
0: then we so we we acquired the land for thirty three thousand dollars for our down payment for our down payment. Yeah. Then
2: and a bunch of dirt.
0: Yeah. How are we gonna How are we gonna actually then? make something happen what was the next
2: well paul started selling dirt paul riggs for a buck a yard and the dump trucks would roll in and out of here and and uh they started building these terraces that all these homes are on through this whole area and paul kept selling dirt and the money piled up and we basically paid off the land big dirt (laughs) sale over the course of the next 18 months or something and uh, the funny part was the homes, they started digging pools in the homes as they built them and they'd sneak the dirt back here. So some of that dirt we sold a couple of times, I suppose, <laughs> but, but it, was, it was great the way that dirt pile that kept everybody from the property turned about to be the Lord's kind of ha-ha mm. and Paul's hard work and hustling it, all sorts of funny conversations about that. But,
1: uh, yeah. Same thing with the retention basin too. Well, it yeah. used to be, you know, everybody would say, Oh, that's such a detriment to a retention basin. You'll think of through the years how many times we've used that retention basin. Yeah. You
2: know. And we needed the a whole dog. Th- <laughs> we you know, we would have had to dig it and there it was. Yeah. So yeah. So it's kind of set up and
0: got had it. So we basically got thirteen acres for thirty three thousand dollars. Down. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Down. yeah. yeah. Then they paid the balance. And then
1: paid yeah, 108,000, yeah. hundred and eight yeah. or 109,000. through dirt sales. The dirt sales. Total. Dirt total. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's an amazing thing that the Lord did. Again, the Lord had just been with us every step of the way.
2: So even when Dave and I sit here and look at what's ahead for the church, you know, the thing of completing the campus and all, uh, the biggest miracles that we needed have already happened. <laughs> you know, just the church existing. I mean, just getting to this point, it's... Uh, it's remarkable with the large town. Absolutely incredible that this place is here. And it, he just did some amazing things along the way. So.
0: so we got the land, and then they're still in the restaurant. How did we go about putting that first building on it and that movement? What, what was that process like?
1: Well, it was a combination of Bud DeVries, who had— Special gifts and understanding on laying out um, buildings because of his engineering background. And Rick Riggs, whose construction skills and gifts of serving were used in the planning and building of not only our first building, but also many of the future buildings on our campus, including the Life Center and Paul Riggs. And so we we kind of planned for that first building, which is now the gym. And uh, again, we didn't have a ton of money, and everything was expensive for a small congregation. So we had it designed that's the full gym, but in order to do it, we had to break it down into three different projects. So the first project was really just doing that, probably where you come into it, uh, and then where the... The end of the where the first basketball hoops used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that was where the first phase was, and about, so the
2: double doors.
1: Yeah, right. So it's a double door. Did it go all the way to there, or was that yeah. all the way to the second phase? Double doors, and you went out yeah. out.
2: You were outside, right in the front of the <laughs> auditorium,
1: right. So, and so that was the first phase, and so then we started uh, basically we had that down on paper, and then we started saying, okay, this is uh, kind of what the Lord's doing, and and uh, what can you, and then. The pledge cards again and uh so yeah, I how many of those have we had so far i don't know uh we had three phases there we had the administration building we had this building and now we got something we, yeah we're i think we're in our about our sixth uh like pledge, six or uh, seven drive Sixth or seventh pledge drive now <laughs> maybe we'll only have seven total that would seven, that would round seven out is great. a good number <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so we move we move here uh was that Easter of nineteen ninety five? Yep, was our first service. Yep, it was a pancake breakfast. I remember serving pancakes mm-hmm. uh, and eating them at the same time. <laughs> uh, and and pretty much from from that point uh, up until now, we've been uh, growing in discipleship. We've been uh, following the Spirit as He leads in various things numerically, there's been, there's been growth, uh, but there's been global impact. We have various missionaries all over the world, pastors we're supporting. Uh, what, uh, as you guys look back at the last 30 years, what, um, uh, what strikes you in terms of the, the history of Red Mountain? What, what, uh, what do you walk away with in terms of gratefulness to Yahweh for?
1: Well, for me, I think it's his faithfulness. Everything that we have needed along the way, and it hasn't been easy. You know, anybody who does church work or does missionary work or does anything for the Lord, I don't think anybody's going to tell you that that's easy because there's different struggles along the way and different difficulties that you've got to pray through and work through. But as we've prayed about those things through the years, we've seen how faithful Yahweh is to provide the needs, whether it be financial, whether it be people at the right time that have certain spiritual gifts that we need, uh, whether it be uh, uh, some type of thing where the Lord just does something supernatural in order to kind of help show us that he's with us. And uh, so each of the things you mentioned, as far as the foreign mission, they each have their own story. Each of the things that we've done building-wise has each has their own story. Uh, The different people that have been impacted and have gone different places each have their own story. As well as some of the people that have come and fallen away and we continue to pray for and and hopefully they come back, and some of them have, but each of those have a story. And uh, what I've I'm just amazed at is just how faithful. He is. I mean, from the very beginning, the stories we've already told you about how the church was started, and the Lord putting it on our hearts uh, when it when it, there was nothing, and then seeing that what's happened, and then seeing how faithful He is, I think that's what amazes me.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I would have to say that that same thing. Just uh, It's so unlikely. Uh, all of it is so unlikely. It almost seems like a, a dream, though a very big, a good one. But uh, it's very, very unlikely. And yet, here it is. And uh, any church that's existed for that long goes through seasons of that are really, really unpleasant. It's just the way it is. There's an ebb and flow to the work of the Lord. And there's a time when, when it's very joyful, and there's a time when it's just a hard labor. So uh, what I feel most blessed for is the stability of our leadership. I feel very blessed to have served in a church where um, two, two of the—or three of the four original families are still here, and— uh, Two of the original elders are still here. That that doesn't happen very often, and uh, we have that. We have elders that have served many, many years, and that's just a huge blessing. Um, we've uh, we've had turnover in other respects, but it's been a huge, monster blessing to have stability of the core leaders here for so many years, and that's what I feel really blessed for. And uh, you know, from my standpoint too, the the transition to to uh of of me leaving was on my heart the day we opened because I just learned to think about what what happens at that point. And so the way the Lord directed that, that was a that was a big, big thing. The way the Lord worked us through that and it was hard, but the Lord worked us through that was a great, great thing to have the Lord do. And there are just so many things like that that mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit the buildings, that's what you see visibly, but mostly it's that stuff along the way that you're so aware of, where the Lord's hand was just there at the right moment, like Dave said, the faithfulness of the Lord to be present. It's humbling.
1: It is humbling. And to have people to share it with, I don't know how many stories Bob and I have, and uh, as well as uh, the rest of the people that have have, uh, served with us, but we have all these stories that are just in our minds that uh, we can pull up almost at any time. And uh, each of them are very significant. They mean something to us, but uh, I'm not sure everybody else would, they'd mean that much to, but to us they do. And to have friends uh, to share that with is just amazing. So I'm thankful for that.
2: And in my, uh, my Bible, I've got marked, and Dave does too. You know, we remember, a, a moment where the Lord impressed a verse on us and we brought it to each other or to the board and we always wrote those dates and it 's something to go back in your Bible over you know 30 mm. years of that and you see these verses that, and, and you realize, man that, that happened that came true you know those, those kinds of things we, we experience that so that's, that's an ongoing just uh, blessing of the life you choose to live you know, those types of things.
0: What do you guys expect? In the future of red mountain what do you what do you guys expect for the Lord to do?
2: I expect many more miraculous things in even more exciting areas than what I was able to lead through and I expect that it will it will be an even mightier movement of the Holy Spirit. I think we're just beginning those things. Mm. It's just amazing how much work it takes to get to I mean, I thought we'd be here within about three years.
1: <laughs> that is something that uh, I think both of us have uh, grown in is the fact that the Holy Spirit works with us prophetically, but at the same time, we've come to realize that we don't know the exact timing of each of those things, and so He's going to put something on your heart that's, that that uh, He wants to lead you into, and He wants to lead a group into, and. I would say he's been very faithful at seeing that happen. But at the same time, you have to give room for timing aspects because you don't know the exact timing, and you have to give room that he might want to tweak it in some way and change it in some way. When you said, what do we expect in the future? This is what came to my mind. Psalm 90 has been a very important uh, uh, scripture for us, written by Moses a long time ago. Couple years back, yeah, a couple years back, and before we uh, started, (laughs) and uh, that is something that we've actually been praying through and quoting to each other for for probably from the very beginning. And um, there's a place starting in verse twelve through uh, seventeen that I think is just very significant, and I and this is what I think is going to happen. Uh, as we continue on and as uh, it moves into the next uh, phase of, of what the Lord wants to accomplish here. And it says in verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Yahweh, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Adonai, the Lord, a different uh, wording there. The Adonai, our God, be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands and I think uh, this is significant in many ways, but the phrase in here that says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And I think we're seeing that fulfilled uh, in, our, in our lifetime, right before our eyes, uh, in the sense that um, our children, the people that uh, were led to start this work, our children are now part of the group that's carrying it forward. And I think if that's true, um, we maybe can expect that let your glorious power uh, be given to their children. And so I'm looking for the glorious power of the Spirit to continue to actually uh, bring out more of his uh, beauty, more of his power, more of his strength. Uh, among us, and I really believe that's going to happen. We're going to have the ability to to send more money around the world. We're going to have the ability to affect more church plants and to bring out more church plants, and we're going to see the Lord uh, bring out areas that we haven't even thought about yet. Mm. Yeah. So establish the work of your hands, Lord, establish the work of your hands.
2: Yeah, we think... We think that's it. I think uh I think we're seeing that. I think the church is a better place than it was two years ago. Um, I think we're seeing it move ahead. So um yeah. Just little things like that, Kyle, is all we expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well
0: I uh um there's many more things uh I could ask you guys about and um talk about uh and this podcast could drag on and on so maybe maybe we'll just end with this question because Dave you were 33ish years old at the start of the church
1: yeah 32
0: 32 dad you were 40 ish 39 40 bud was 28 uh somewhere in there yeah rex is somewhere in his early 30s paul bonar is somewhere in his early 30s that group late 20s early 30s um what would you say to uh, a twenty or thirty old, thirty year old, who just comes up and says, "I want to do something for the
2: Lord"? What what would you say to them? I think that's pretty simple. I'd invest heavily in the church. Mm. I'd sacrifice for it. I'd throw everything I had in it because I think uh, I think. Uh, I can't begin to describe how that pays off in quality of life later as you look back and then I think eternally.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't think uh you can outgive God. I I think that uh he's going to outgive you every single time. And so <laughs> uh I I think people need to uh first of all receive Christ. I think they then need to learn how to uh surrender their life to Jesus Christ in the sense that I want to do anything that you have called me to do. I believe in you more than I believe in me. And then, uh, really live that out. Really try to, uh, on a moment by moment basis, live out that calling in your life, no matter what it is. It might be that you're called to be a senior pastor, but it might be that you're called to also, um, uh, work a job and serve in the church as a leader and a disciple maker and to be a help to whatever he has, uh, in his kingdom. And that, that is a calling. And, uh, so he's a, a God that has many callings for each person and he knows us better than we know ourselves. So that's what I would say is live that out.
0: Mm. Well. Wow. <clears throat> uh, again i appreciate the conversation obviously i have great respect uh for both of you men how you've invested in me over uh the last 30 years your guys's efforts directly in my life but also indirectly through just you know the countless praying and hours of of building the church and of working with jesus to to build this church into what it is uh i've been impacted greatly. I am who I am because of of Red Mount Community Church. Uh, It's not just because of my last name, it's because of this place uh, and all that it's taught me and how it's nurtured me along. And I know there are uh, many other people who would say the same thing. So uh, I'm grateful to the Lord for you two in particular, uh, your impact upon my life, but also your impact uh, for this church And I'm grateful for, um, how God has used you, uh, not just in the past, but how he's using you currently, uh, in your current roles and locations and giftings in the church as they've shaped and molded over the years. So thanks for, uh, thanks for your service. Thanks for your work and for your continued prayer for, for the church, um, And with that, this special episode of the Living Stones podcast (laughs) uh, has concluded. Thanks for listening, and uh, may you all be blessed as you go on to the next thing after listening to this podcast. Thank you.